On the North Antrim coast of Northern Ireland is a very beautiful and picturesque spot known locally as the Giant's Causeway. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and attracts well over a million tourists every year. It's made up of mostly hexagonal shaped basalt pillars and columns that start at the cliffs and stretch out right across the North Sea in stepping stone-like formation to the Isle of Staffa in Scotland. Now there's a legend that says that an Irish giant named Finn McCool had a bit of a barney with a Scottish giant named Benan Donner, who challenged Finn to a fight. Finn built the causeway so he could meet up with Benan Donner for the fight. Now there's two endings to this gigantic tale. Hi and welcome to the Punk Living Journal, the podcast which is raising awareness about living in a more peaceable, unifying, nurturing and cooperative way so that we can conquer our own inner demons and personal giants and help others to live better lives as well. Now, getting back to the gigantic tale, the first ending is that they meet and fight with Finn coming off as the winner and Ben and Donner was never heard of again. The second ending says that upon seeing that Ben and Donner was bigger, Finn ran back to his cave and hid. Ben and Donner came looking for him, so Finn's wife, Una, dressed him up as a baby and tucked him into a cradle. Ben and Donner, upon seeing the size of the baby, scurried back to Fingal's Cove, destroying much of the causeway behind him. Now, the truth is, the causeway is the result of volcanic eruptions millions of years ago, and the basalt cooled down quickly, forming the distinctive shape of this wonderful feature. Personally, I prefer the giant story. Yet, my moral of this tale is simply this. No matter what the myth there is, there's always a plausible answer. So why this tale? Why the tale of these giants? The title of this episode is On Fighting Giants, and we all have our own personal giants to fight at some time or another. Many of us, constantly. By personal giants, I mean such things as deeply ingrained, almost instinctive habits which seem impossible to get rid of. Our inner demons or barriers which prevent us from doing the things we want to do by popping up out of nowhere and telling us, no, we can't because then this or that will happen or you'll get hurt or lose everything and blah, 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 blah. You know the kind of thing, right? For example, when alcoholics kick the addiction, they still claim to be alcohol dependent and any periods of time without succumbing to the demon drink are known as dry periods. They don't say, I'm an ex-alcoholic. They say, I've been trying for X number of days, weeks, months, years, and so on. They say this because they believe they could easily revert back to dependency just by having a few alcoholic drinks. I tend to disagree with the thinking behind that. Yes, I believe they would and could become dependent again if they fell into temptation and started drinking on a regular basis. However, if that kind of thinking was eradicated in the first place, then perhaps that wouldn't be the case because they could be in full control of their subconscious choices. The idea that a leopard can't change its spots is, in my opinion, only true where leopards are concerned. Humans can and do change dramatically whatever the circumstances they are faced with. Ask any Paralympian if it's possible to conquer the impossible and I bet you can guess what the answer would be. 
Recently, I think it was last year, about this time last year, I watched a program which featured a 15-year-old girl who is a double amputee below the knee. She took part in a charity rumble for children in need, a UK children's charity, where she had to complete a two-mile course through the Lake District, which is in West Yorkshire, England. The course was set across rough ground. It included a 700-metre climb, slippery and uneven terrain, and even the downhill sections were very tough as it created extreme and painful pressure on her knees and thighs. She wore prosthetic legs, so she couldn't feel her way like able-bodied people can. The most she had walked using those legs was the 10 minutes to her school, and even with the support around her on this ramble, it took her the best part of a day to complete the course, which was about eight or nine hours in total. Did she feel like giving up? Of course she did, but she didn't. She was in pain, had to make many stops to rest and receive some assistance from the physiotherapist, and yet not once did she consider giving up because she was determined to complete the hike. She conquered her personal giant. And that's a remarkable achievement for such a young person to take in such a, a situation that she was in. And I believe that many of us who are able-bodied probably would have given up after a few hours. And to me, she's proof that if your why is big enough, nothing else matters. So then the question has to be, what kind of giants might we have to fight and conquer? Well, in previous episodes, I've touched on some of the steps you can take to get rid of the nasty little habits which hold you back and how to create new ones. So here I want to go into a little bit more detail and share with you that no matter how big or strong the barrier, you can smash right through it. Is it really possible to overcome any bad habit, conquer any personal giant, no matter how ingrained? Oh, I would say yes. I don't care if you've been smoking for 50 years, you can stop, period. I don't care if you're a substance abuser, you can become and stay clean. I don't care if you're incredibly shy, you can change and gain shed loads of confidence. I don't care if you've always been a loser, you can win and continue winning. You can beat any personal giant, any addiction, emotional imbalance, self-esteem issues, attitude problems or whatever, if you want to. That's the key, which I can only massively stress, you have to want to. That's the strongest foundation to stand on when fighting your personal giants. Any other foundation will have the same effect as the house built on sand, it'll just collapse. Wanting to is the first and probably the most difficult step because you're making a conscious decision, which will eventually dramatically change your life forever. And that's scary stuff. Expect pain and anguish. Expect wanting to give up and return to a cuddly comfort zone. And even expect your peers to try and drag you back. Oh yes, your mates, muckers, posse, buddies, homies, many of them won't like what you're attempting to do and will do all they can to stop you. Why? Crabs in a bucket, ever see what they do? You might be thinking, they don't do much probably just mill around and feel sorry for themselves, knowing that they're going to end up in someone's plate or as a jar of sandwich paste. And you would be right in that respect. 
But do you know what happens when one of the crabs tries to escape the bucket prison? The others gang up on it and drag it back, even ripping off legs and claws to stop them from trying again. It's true, it's a well-documented fact. Check it out on Google, check it out on YouTube. There's several videos about it on there. The thing is, right, we humans do the same kind of thing. Not that we'll end up in a jar of sandwich paste or have our legs ripped off. Hmm, mind you. Now, seriously though, what I mean is this. If those in our peer groups, that's those who we spend the most time with, are simply existing instead of living, then watch what happens when you try to break free from that mediocre existence. They'll attempt to pull you back, just like those crabs, so that you stay within their confines. So again, why is that? Well, for some it could be jealousy based. They don't want you, or anyone around them, to be better than they are. They know they live in a crapper's existence, but are not willing to do something about it, so they hinder everyone else. For others, it may be a control thing. They want to keep you under their control. They want to dictate how you should lead your life. And that's a sure sign of insecurity. Maybe they would like to break free themselves, smash through their own barriers, but are just too frightened of the unknown possible consequences. So it's better to maintain control and keep others around them in that self-same existence to help them feel more secure. For most, it's a misguided sense of protective instinct. They're trying to protect you from perceived harm. This maybe comes from our dark and distant past, where staying outside of the group tended to end up being eaten by saber-truths and the like. So they're scared for you, fearful for you. They don't want to see you get hurt or disappointed and want to keep you smothered for your own good. Does that sound familiar? For all of these, anything outside the comfort zone is dangerous and needs to be avoided. And the best way to do that is to stay inside, taking it easy and existing until your time is up. Sadly, many who try to escape tend to succumb and return to the safety of the herd, so to speak. Happily, others break free, and so can you. The best way to get out of your comfort zone is to create a new one. And when that gets too comfortable, you create a new one. And when that gets too comfortable, well, I guess you get the picture. Whether this kind of mentality has been inherited from our ancient ancestors, where the group provided protection against wild beasts and so on, or whether it's something that's developed more recently with the advent of technology, making our lives much easier and therefore we have become more complacent and even lazy, fact of the matter is the majority of us don't like getting out of our comfort zones, for there be giants. Fear of failure is a big player in this kind of attitude because it's seen as a weakness and we, roughy tufty men especially, can't be seen to fail, can we? Yet we've all done it. We're all guilty of it at some point in our lives. In fact, I would say we do it every single day. We all fail at something. Is it such a big deal? I mean, we're all still here, aren't we? For the most part, failing hasn't harmed us one iota. However, for the majority out there, failing is a big deal, a humongous deal. As I said, failure is viewed as a weakness, a missing of the mark, a sin in many ways. If you fail, then you're nothing, is the attitude of many. Yet quite opposite is true. We didn't start life as failures. 
In fact, we started out as absolute winners. We all fought off thousands, nay millions, double, nay tens of millions of others, and survived a dangerous and treacherous journey to win the all-important race, the chance to fertilise an egg and be born. What a fantastic achievement! While swimming to victory, no thought was given to failing, nor was any consideration given to the consequences of failing. We just did it, admittedly instinctively, but we still did it. We won! So give yourselves a well-deserved pat on the back for that massive achievement. So where did it all start going wrong? When did we start to fail and become obsessed with failing? Sadly, it's down to our parents, grandparents, other ancestors, peers, environment and personal experiences. A right fail cocktail guaranteed to make you feel lower than low, sorry for yourself and bathe in that abject guilt of failure. Yet failing is not the end, it's the beginning. Even if you were 100% successful 100% of the time, you would still fail. Why? Because you would fail to appreciate your success. You'd take it for granted, become blasé about it. The simple fact is this, to become successful, you must first fail. Thomas Edison, we all know him, he's well known to have failed many times. It took more than 10,000 attempts to discover a material suitable to use as a filament for the electric light bulb. In the end, after trying everything he knew during a walk in his garden, he had a Satori moment, a bit of an enlightenment, a yaha moment as they call it, and came up with the idea to use bamboo. And this was to be his very last attempt, and it worked. Now obviously, thankfully today, we don't have bamboo as filaments in light bulbs, otherwise we'd go through them quite a bit. But it gave him that impetus to continue research, and eventually a better filament was found. The point is, though, he didn't give up. He had one last attempt, one last attempt, one last attempt, and in the end, he found what he wanted. We all have fears, many fears, the unknown, heights, spiders, water, trust, success, and so on. But all these personal giants can be surmounted. Look at the way you view a molehill. Up close, it's easily dealt with, usually with a spade or shovel, right? Further away, it's insignificant. It's a blip on the landscape. Unless you're a gardener, of course, then it becomes a mountain. Yet that mountain is so easily dealt with. It's nothing to worry about. That's how we should view our issues, as molehills that are easily dealt with using the correct tools. Personal giants can be felled in the same way. But what about real mountains, I hear you cry? Well, what of them? The answer on how to deal with real mountains is very easy. You climb them and stick a flag in the summit. I know, facetious, but true nonetheless. However, to climb a real mountain takes grit, determination, endurance and stamina, as well as a guide and the right equipment. The same goes for those issues that appear as mountains to you, that appear unsurmountable. Climb the buggers and stab it with a flag. At the end of the day, it's all a matter of perspective. Look at Mount Everest. It doesn't look so awe-inspiring or daunting until you really get up close. Yes, from a distance it looks really nice and everything, but it's not until you get really up close to it and you see the size of it 
and then you start to feel overwhelmed. But even then, by focusing on one step at a time, you can conquer it and enjoy the view from the summit, weather permitting. With the right attitude, grit, determination, endurance, stamina, the right tools and equipment, and a good guide, you will conquer any mountain that stands in your way. Or molehill for that matter, for we do have a tendency, just like those gardeners, to make mountains out of molehills, don't we? Change your perspective, flatten it with a shovel. Focus on what's important and relevant, not the what-ifs and could-have-beens. Still think you won't be able to do it? Still think that those barriers are too high, too wide, too deep to smash through? Well, take this into consideration. The power of the mind is phenomenal. No supercomputer ever built to date can match it for its thinking capacity. In fact, I read somewhere that the world's largest supercomputer, which I believe is in Japan, is the equivalent to the brain of a fruit fly in comparison to the power of our minds. And by the way, by mind, I don't mean brain, for the mind is intangible. You can't see it. Your brain isn't your mind. That's just jelly and electrical impulses, a storage facility. Your mind is what makes up you, your conscious and subconscious self your inner self or soul if you will it's pure energy and that's what returns as the bible says to the source or the all there is or whoever once our physical selves stop working however it's not infallible whenever you're working on a computer whether you're writing calculating photoshopping or whatever that is like your conscious thought it's in the now the present if you were to close whatever you were doing without saving it, and who hasn't done that before, all your hard work is gone, and you would have to start all over again. Yes, I know we also have autosave in some programs, but they're not always switched on, so I guess you know what I mean anyway. Similarly, thoughts come and go at a rapid rate of knots within our conscious minds, and unless we focus on them, then they're gone forever in most cases. Going back to our document on the computer. If we did indeed save it, then the, we'd be able to retrieve it any time we wanted to at will. We just go back to the last uh, spot in the computer and we open up Word, for example, it'll ask you if you want to return to wherever it is you left off, or you can have it stored in a folder or something like that. The same goes for any thoughts we focus on. And mentally save in our subconscious minds. We have little folders inside our minds where we put thoughts. We have trigger thoughts which trigger those thoughts. You know, you could be thinking about something else and that'll bring in other thoughts and help you remember other events and so on. So we do the same kind of thing. However, and this is the important part, just like any computer, you can fall prey to the garbage in, garbage out syndrome. If you're constantly feeding your subconscious mind with a load of crappy stuff, then I can guarantee you'll be suffering from stinking thinking and need a serious checkup from the neck up. You getting the idea? So is this just all talk on my side? Am I just quoting maybe somebody else's experiences? Am I just saying this is what you should do? And um, am I practicing what I'm preaching? Well, the answer is I am very much indeed because I've been doing it for a lot of years. I am essentially incredibly shy, but more of an introvert. I call myself a, an extroverted introvert, or perhaps an introverted extrovert, I don't know. But 
When I was growing up, I only had a few friends because I spent most of my time with my head buried in a book rather than going to play outside. Yet, even back then, you put me on a stage in front of people and I would change completely. I would become a performer, an actor, an entertainer. I loved and still do love being on a stage and entertaining people, presenting to people. I loved doing that. But then it was, back then, sorry, it was, it was amateur dramatics. I mean, today it's podcasting, YouTubing, public speaking and the like. Now, I can say I no longer think of myself as incredibly shy. I'm still shy in some respects, then especially with the opposite sex, but then who isn't? But nothing like I used to be. Do you know, a few short years ago, I could have gone into a pub, spent the whole evening there without speaking to one single person, with the exception of perhaps the bartender, when I was ordering another drink. That's how shy I was. So what changed? I did. I put into practice what I've been talking about in this episode, researched the best ways to start conversations and conquer shyness, meditated using Reiki, and gradually I put what I learned into practice. And today? Today, this leopard has changed his spots. I find it relatively easy to start conversations with strangers, making new friends along the way. I've got lots of friends now. The confidence I have whilst on stage, so to speak, is now a permanent part of my off-stage life as well. Where I was incredibly shy before, now my confidence shines through and it's helped me to become more approachable and empathetic to others. That certainly helps with my coaching as well because you can't have a shy coach, can you? Yes, I still have setbacks, but they are few and far between. I've come a long way in the last few years and I'm still growing, still learning, still moving forward. That was a giant of a personal giant I conquered. And do you know what the best about that is? It could very easily be you. So that's it guys for this episode on how to conquer your personal giants, how to get rid of those inner demons, going in a little bit more detail there as well. Got any feedback about that? Got anything you'd like to say about that? Anything you'd like to add? Details in the show notes of how to get in contact with me, as always. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. This is Jerry Sadler. You've been listening to the Punk Living Journal. Bye-bye for now.